The intelligence community has been in the news a lot lately, and not always for good reasons. Virginia Senator Mark Warner thinks the Trump administration has not treated the IC correctly, dragging it and its leaders into politics. I spoke with Warner about this and other national security issues. I think the intelligence community has continues to do a, a really solid job in unprecedentedly difficult times, particularly when we see the nature of our threats evolve, when we see a kind of refurbished Russia stepping forward less militarily, but but more using cyber and tools of misinformation, disinformation in terms of their disruption of our, our political process, where we see China um, come forward in a very aggressive way militarily in terms of economic theft of our intellectual property, in terms of dramatically increased, again, cyber and other capabilities. So the intelligence community has got a lot on its plate, um, particularly the reemergence of, of China and Russia as kind of near-peer adversaries, while they still have to carry on the counterterrorism threat, where they still have to carry on challenges with Iran and North Korea and other hotspots around the world. And uh, Sure. I'm, I'm all for what they've done. And do you get the sense, insofar as it's possible from your particular perch, that the thousands and thousands of employees who are just doing the day-to-day work are able to function unimpeded by all of this political maelstrom that is enveloping the top. Well, Tom, I do think they feel the pressure. I get to, being the local guy, um, you know, I hear from members of the community or I hear from recently retired members of the community on a regular basis. And uh, they say that uh, they do feel under assault. Uh, I've you know, not seen to date any evidence that anyone has bowed down to that pressure or that um, you know, there's been any attempt to kind of cook the books. Uh, and then for, for that, I'm grateful for people like Gina Haspel at the CIA and General Nakasone at NSA and Ashley at DIA. There's a, a number of good folks who've, um, who I think are doing a good job protecting their people. Security clearance process has moved to the Defense Department Congress kind of let that happen. That was a Trump administration initiative. And are you watching that? Because that is of huge interest across the federal government and across all of the contractors who really can't function without a good clearance process. Well, when, as I mentioned earlier, when the clearance backlog had got to 740,000, when new CIA agents were waiting two years to get a security clearance, when contractors would move from one DHS contract to another and have to wait over 100 days, even though it was within the same agency, to get their clearances renewed for another contract, that is both inefficient, it makes us less secure as a nation. So we started a reform effort uh, about three years ago, and we built certain provisions into the Intel authorization bills that we hope will be passed. They've already been passed out of the House and the Senate. We now have to get just the conference report passed um, we've had great cooperation from um, Dan Coates, who was the director of national intelligence, and he had a great deputy named Sue Gordon, who was a real tr- true career professional who, unfortunately, the White House forced out. Um, and we've brought those numbers down from 740,000 to, where I mentioned, roughly 300,000, where we've also put in place uh, an ability to say we should do what's called continuous evaluation so that 
you know, you don't simply review somebody's security clearance every five years regardless. You do it on a more ongoing basis and you put the more folks in the higher priority positions to get more scrutiny than ones that may be in other positions. And then we are working towards, and this is really important, reciprocity so that if you get a DHS clearance for the most part, maybe that should also work at, you know, the NSA or that should work at NRO. Um, there are obviously certain areas where a higher level of clearance will be required. There not, may not be full reciprocity, but the notion that we have uh, each of these agencies and departments having um, slightly different sets of security criteria is really a 20th century mindset and way old school. And frankly, some of the things that are still happening where you've still got retired FBI agents literally traveling to a um, – uh, another jurisdiction to check the college records or to check the 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 legal records to make somebody's sure nobody's been arrested. I mean, we should be able to do that much more efficiently online than uh, kind of the old school way that uh, we go through this process. We're speaking with Virginia Senator Mark Warner. So you're watching that one, and it left the Office of Personnel Management kind of high and dry, which Congress corrected the revenue loss from the uh, security clearance process with appropriations. But what are you thinking, this is outside the intelligence area, but just as a senator who is concerned with federal operations in general, what's your view of the future of the Office of Personnel Management? Well, I think the Office of Personnel Management, they've had problems, but I think that function um, needs to remain independent. Um, and I think it needs, the the office needs the the ability to continue to function. Obviously, if you take the security clearance process and move it back to DOD, which um, I think from a kind of an efficiency standpoint probably made sense. And I, you know, I'm watching carefully how that transition takes place. We didn't change out the people. It's somewhat changing the, the blocks about how they report up the chain. Um, but I think it's net, net good. But I do think OPM um, is a, is a, a, an entity, an agency that needs to be protected. The needs to make sure that you've got that ability to look out for the federal workforce on a kind of macro basis. And getting back to the intelligence viewpoint, there is a new agency, a renamed agency, concerned with cybersecurity and infrastructure at the Department of Homeland Security, CISA. Mm -hmm. And what's your thought on how well the various whole-of-government parts, IC, the military where it's appropriate, and the civilian branch like DHS are working in concert with respect to some of those issues like exfiltration of data, both from contractors and the government itself and so on? Well, I think CISA was more than a name change. I think it was important that you get the name change so you could say to both government and the private sector, this is where we're going to try to concentrate a lot of our cybersecurity expertise. Chris Krebs, who's running that department, I think is doing a darn good job, and I, I commend him. He's been very active on cyber writ large. He's been very active working with us on the intel side about some of the challenges coming out of China related to, to um, cyber. He's been you know, one of the few people in the administration who recognizes the importance of election security, so I give him high, high marks. I feel like we still are behind the curve on having that whole of, not just whole of government, but whole of society approach to cyber. Um, we, we still have only done one small piece of legislation that is a voluntary information sharing. Uh, I still believe that in certain critical infrastructure areas, you, you're only as strong as your 
weakest link. And I think that we may need a level of mandatory reporting, again, from the private sector if you're in critical infrastructure uh, domains. I think one of the areas that, that I'm, I've watched play out for the last couple of years that I think we're going to finally get done, but boy, it shouldn't have taken this long as, you know, as we move into the so-called Internet of Things, all the devices will be connected to the Internet from your you know, toaster oven to your refrigerator to you know, that IoT would be all the devices on your driverless car that connect to the Internet. And one of the things that's just crazy to me is we don't have even minimum security standards for these IoT devices. So I've had bipartisan legislation with Corey Gardner um, from Colorado for a number of years, and we've got it out of committee now, that would you know, require, at least at the federal government level, if we're spending federal dollars, we're only going to buy devices that have de minimis security. So they don't have embedded passcodes, so they are patchable. You know, basic stuff. But right now we're spending our federal tax dollars on buying this uh, equipment and these devices that may have huge vulnerabilities in them. I, I think about you know a, a nuclear power plant or a dam. You may put all your cyber protections possible in terms of your traditional equipment, but if you you know in the in the staff kitchen, if there is an IoT connected toaster oven, the bad guys could come in through the toaster oven and get into the overall security of of the overall dam or nuclear power plant that just happens to be connected uh, um, through the staff kitchen. So there's a huge amount of additional vulnerability that we have to take care of. And the fact that we've not passed this legislation is really pretty absurd. Virginia Senator Mark Warner, vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.